0: As the official podcast partner for Mom 2.0, the largest summit for professional moms across industries, I got a chance to interview speakers, attendees and sponsors to share their perspective on the work they do and the impact they make on our community. Founded by Laura Mays and Carrie Pacini, along with John Pacini and Marla Trevino, the organization is now a part of Everyday Health Group, serving moms and parents with compelling content, meaningful partnerships, and live events for millions year round. We are back live at the Mom 2.0 Summit, and this is the That's Total Mom Sense podcast. And now joining me is Dr. Eunice Park. Thank you so much for being with me
1: today. (laughs) Hi, I'm very excited to be on the podcast, as well as a first-time attendee of the MOM 2.0 Summit.
0: Wonderful. And tell us about your keynote this morning.
1: So I, you know, it, it was such an incredible experience sharing my journey to creating ARAM Modern Beauty Rituals mm-hmm. with a group of moms, you know, who are also creatives and entrepreneurs. And I think my story of uh, my postpartum care um, journey uh, and recovery journey, I think, resonates in in a deeper sense mm-hmm. with this group of women.
0: Yes, 100%. I think we um, look to peel back the layers, right after, hi, my name is, <laughs> and and why not, right? Why have the pretense and why have just a superficial talk? Because I think um, what we really seek, um, especially as we're in our isolated experiences as moms, is that depth of connection. And here, you're going to get it right off the bat once you meet someone else.
1: No, absolutely. I think in the very few minutes that I was able to share my story and also uh, conduct a tea meditation, like a very brief, you know, few-minute mindfulness moment on stage. I was able to just the, gather that that energy, you know, yeah. and and I think that the level of just support and encouragement that you feel also from the audience mm-hmm. is quite amazing. Yes, and what would you say? Um, are your first
0: thoughts? Um, because some might have, you know, their, um, beliefs around
1: it. But when I say self-care, what does that bring up for you? I think that self-care now, uh, it can mean a lot of things. And I think to some people it means taking a bubble bath or lighting yeah. a candle. Yeah. But the discussion this morning was that self-care, uh, runs much deeper than that. Yes. And self-care for me at this point is Having a very quiet moment to myself mm-hmm. to process and just reflect on my day. Yeah, and there's this craving. I, I feel like more now than ever before. I'm craving time where I don't have my phone. Yeah, you know, and I'm I, and the kids are in bed. Right, I know. That, <laughs> yeah, that's nice quiet <laughs> time for sure. And that I'm looking away from email. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> and and of course, you know, being in the beauty and aesthetic space. Uh, I do think that, you know, elements of skincare and taking Mm -hmm. care of myself and living a more healthy lifestyle uh, also brings in uh, just a more positive perspective. Yes. Yeah, overall. And I mean, not that I want to bring up the cliche, but
0: beauty is skin deep and it's from the inside out. And I love that you started on the inside, looking within, um, making sure to take a pause and enjoy that silence with yourself. I think if you start there, everything else is a bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that I, I um, definitely feel because self-care is, some, is a word or a term that's thrown around a lot. And when I think like, oh, going for a mani or pedi, that's grooming. It's not necessarily I'm taking care of myself you know, um, it has to be something deeper. And, and with skincare, I think the idea of rituals, that definitely feels like you are because it's something that, um, you've created as a sacred time where that's all yours. And what you're doing with that, that time, um, is,
1: you know, it's, it's something that's like special, you know? And you mentioned self-care. I mean, I shared today the Korean principle of quali. Mm-hmm. And quali is a term in its literal sense, it means the care of. Ah. And so we quali our body, our skin, but it's also something that mothers tell daughters. Oh, it that. says quali your body and well being. Yeah and so it's something that's passed down from generation and it's not a term that means like you said grooming right? yeah. which is often a synonymous term right for right and being able to align our mind body and spirit mm. that's when i think that we feel transformed mm-hmm. so we feel like we're the best version of ourselves yes and That's when I think that we come into just our power, Mm -hmm. our, you know, our our ability to be able to do the work that we're really meant to do. Mm -hmm. And that's the transformation I see in my patients. Thank you so much, Dr. Park. Thank you for having me. It's great to be on your podcast and to meet you. Thank you.
0: Now I'm interviewing Jessica Eastman-Stewart, founder of the Joyfully Managed Team and Family. She parlays her work life leading teams in corporate, including fighting for educational equity through Go Public Schools, to helping her clients achieve success and harmony in their households. Listen in. So Jessica, tell us a little bit about what, you know, was that catalyst you needed to come here?
2: Oh, my gosh. Uh, being connected to other folks who are also supporting families is so valuable. And honestly, I just texted my husband earlier today, and I've been to a number of conferences in my life, and I said, this is the most useful conference I have ever attended. Oh, I it's it. so great. It really is. And everybody is so kind. Yeah. The location is beautiful. I
0: know. I know. The whole thing is a vibe. Yeah. And um, and I feel like the connections and friendships that we make here, they are lifelong. Yeah, you know, I my first one was last year um, in L.A. And it just it felt like we didn't miss a beat. A lot of the women that were all over um where we reconnected again here. And it's like, has it been a year? It doesn't feel like it. Yeah. I you know,
2: know. I'm this my first time here and I feel like I've already met folks that I feel like I've known for a long time. And I literally just met them at the airport yesterday. Oh my god. You that, know, but yeah. we're like seeing each other, like, oh hey again. Good yes, to see you. Yeah, exactly. Bestie, see you. yeah. Exactly. You met this other person, <laughs> you should connect with each other.
0: Okay. Right,
2: right.
0: I love it. Yeah. Um, and tell us a little bit about what you do.
2: Yeah, I help working parents get organized both at home and also at work.
0: Okay, nice. And um, so give us some hacks on organization because I feel like that is a multi-pronged question. We have our digital organization. We have our home organization. We have our, like, just, you know, work, life, and household, all of it, all of it. And it's not just container store. It's more than that. Oh, it's so
2: much more than that. (laughs) I think one of my favorite strategies, and I was just talking to a bunch of moms at lunch today about this, is having a weekly family meeting. Um, And my husband and I have been doing this for a number of years, and our kids are now starting to get to the point where they can join. But for the longest time, it was just the two of us, and it was focused on the logistics and the priorities of our family and home life. And it honestly is the thing that keeps us from feeling so overwhelmed and dropping all of the balls in our very full life.
0: Yes, 100%. I am going to take a cue from you. What do you discuss in this family meeting?
2: (laughs) Yeah. And what's it like
0: with, like, you know, four-year-old opinions, six-year-old opinions? (laughs) Does a two-year-old get to just, like, stand on his head?
2: (laughs) So, um, folks, we're starting to incorporate our kids, but they don't come for the whole thing. Okay. Um, So, and when they do come, we're asking them questions like, you know, what went well for you this week? is there something you want to work on this week? Like, is there something about how our family is working together that can be improved? But when my husband and I are there alone and to be fully transparent, our kids are totally on screens during this time because that's what allows us to get the focused time together. We are talking about the calendar for the week. Right? Okay. Like what's coming up? Is anything, you know, that's where we discover, like, ooh, I have a meeting on that day, and so I actually can't do kid pickup like normal on Tuesday. So can you do it? You know, or oh right, we're gonna have friends over on Thursday. What are we making? Awesome. Thank you so much for being
0: here. You this are welcome. Great. My next interview is with Deepti Sharma, a Forbes thirty under thirty entrepreneur who is the founder and CEO of Food to Eat a company on a mission to unite people around the communal table and add diversity to the food community by championing small businesses from every neighborhood. She connects mom-and-pop-owned restaurants to corporations and helped feed frontline workers and citizens in need during the pandemic. She also ran for city council in Queens, New York, 24th District, and continues to serve as an entrepreneur in residence at Barnard College, building incubators and seeing students' product ideas through to market and beyond. Take a listen. I am joined by someone who, it feels like a friend, a blast from the past, because we connected, I think it was like 2019, and then the Something pandemic, unfair. yeah, and then it was like, oh my God, we're just in a hole all alone, um, and here we are meeting in person for the first time, Yeah. and you're <laughs> in Queens, and I'm in Jersey, and this is happening in Camelback, um, Scottsdale, New Jersey, I mean, yeah. Scottsdale,
3: Arizona, I can't believe it. It's Funny because, like, I feel like I've met you in person yeah. only because on social I've followed your work and, like, the things that you're doing and talking about, so it all, it's so surreal. Like, when you said this is the first time, I was like, oh, my God, wait, really? Yeah, how I is know. this the first time? And how many friendships do you have that are like that, that are just, like, you know, cultivated
0: virtually and it's years later that you're like, oh, wow, you know, we've been in these spaces and we're finally connecting
3: in yeah. person. And and it's funny, we're, we're cultivating them and supporting each other Yes. like, you know um, through this virtual world because we all want to see each other growing and and doing really amazing successful things so it's and giving tips on how to mom or how to be a working mom or stay at home like wherever you are in your journey and so it's kind of cool to have that
0: yeah 100 percent. so tell me um what you're working on now so a lot a lot's (laughs) happened since the (laughs) pandemic yes
3: um my you know i've done a lot. I ran for office. Yeah. I left my my second company. But today, um, I'm entrepreneur in residence at Barnard College. And what that means is they essentially helped create an incubator at the school um, where we have students apply. Um, we take 10 students in and we help them with their entrepreneurial journeys. Wow. Um, and since I've started two companies and a very mission and purpose-driven uh, founder, uh, they decided to ask me to come. And I've been doing that for the past couple of years. Oh. Amazing. And can you touch on your companies? Because um,
0: one, Food to Eat, um, I feel like was um, just you paying homage to um, growing up in a community in Queens and Mm -hmm. why um, so many families needed that support.
3: Yeah. I mean, so Food to Eat uh, started off as a corporate catering service where we partnered with immigrant women and minority-owned restaurants. And the idea was how do we add to their bottom line and so help them get into large corporate offices. Um, So we worked with Warby Parker, The Skim. And when the pandemic hit, you know, we literally went from being a million dollar business to zero in a day because everybody left work. Nobody was going in. Everybody was remote. Right. And instead of shutting the company down immediately, you know, I decided to figure out, like, what does the community need right now? And so that was, you know, lots of people were going food insecure, right? Mm-hmm. They were working in restaurants um, and in places where they were needed in person. But then those jobs were kind of diminishing because the demand was was clearing out. And so, yeah, we fed half a million New Yorkers by fundraising, grant writing, and then partnering with uh, World Central Kitchen in Queens. And it was one of the most incredible experiences because... You know, I've been organizing since I was a teenager. I've been mm-hmm. showing up at protests. I've been working in the community. But to be able to do it at a time when the world was literally shut down and nobody was going anywhere was very, you know, just rewarding. And just, like, I found a very different purpose for myself for for my community in that time. So, yeah, I was just, you know, when people were, like, sheltering in place, I was like, well, tell me where I need to go. I was, like, carrying, like... 30-pound boxes of food just everywhere. Um, So, yeah, so we did that. And then, you know, I decided the company just – I needed to take a break from it. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a lot mentally to just, like, have gone through all that. Yeah. Um, And the entrepreneur-in-residence role came at a very great time, you know, right after I decided to run for office and didn't win. But it was a way for – again, to give back in a very interesting way. Work with Gen Z students. Um, in helping them create their own purposeful businesses. That's wonderful. And I think that, you know, I feel so many entrepreneurs talk about this,
0: that um, failure just gives you a new vantage point, Mm -hmm. and it's just a means for you to redirect. And I know Rishma Sojani, she's been on the show before too, um, she talked about how um, that was actually like the catalyst to mm-hmm. um, to Girls Who Code was because of, of that you know yeah. congressional race loss. So um, for you, what was it like kind of being in politics and in that race and then now you're doing something completely different
3: but honing in on those skills and those learnings? Yeah. So um, I ran for office in a very interesting time. You know, I – looked at what was happening and said to myself, well, what can I do to serve my community? Mm-hmm. And it just fell into my lap and it was the right time, the right seat, and I didn't win. And, yeah. you know, I didn't see it as a failure because, you know, listen, I've been failing for a long time and I've been succeeding for a long time. Mm-hmm. And and those failures, I literally keep a book of failures. Oh, amazing. Um, to record them and to like go back and say, okay, like I did this and I messed up. And sometimes you forget about some of the things that you kind of came back from. Um, but I learned a lot from, you know, being out on the streets in a very different way than I had been in the past. People were judging me. People were testing me. And and I was like, wow, like, I really see that this is a very different thing than I've ever done before. Nothing can prepare you to be the actual candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, the the next day was very... Weird, because I was like, "Well, now what do I do? Yeah, right? like this mm-hmm. didn't work out, and that's fine, but what comes next?" And so I took time. Um, it took. I took a bit of time, and it was the first time in 16, 17 years that I wasn't working. Wow. Um. And so I was like, "All right, let's let's figure this out." And the entrepreneur in residence role kind of came to me through somebody I knew, and I I spoke with them, and I was like, "Yeah, I love what you're doing. Do you think I would be a good fit for this role?" And they were like, "Yes," because you build with intention you're not trying to preach building building like billion dollar businesses although you know i look up to all the you know amazing incredible people that have built unicorns mm-hmm. but that's not the only way to build and no. so for me it was taking all of my learnings as a founder in the past having done a bootstrap and you know a vc backed company and taking the key learnings from both sides of those businesses and presenting them to students that didn't have an opportunity to work with somebody who had built right yeah. um, two businesses from the ground up and you only get that when you go to business school.
0: We are here at mom 2.0 and this is that total mom sense the podcast and I am joined by Dr. Sarah Mitchell. Thank you so much for being with us today.
4: I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes. And what has been um, something from Mom 2.0 that has
4: surprised you this year? Wonderful surprise of seeing people from my past. This (gasps) is my third Mom 3.0. Yes. 2.0. Yes. And the first one was in 2018 in Pasadena. Okay. And I just grabbed a woman in the hallway and I said, you might not remember me, but we had the most in-depth conversation in the hot tub in Pasadena in 2018, and you left a mark on my life. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That's the best kind of surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. I'm so glad I asked you that. Yeah. And (laughs) that's why I keep coming back to Mom 2.0 is the connections and the people that are here who are doing exciting things and really, like, living their lives in the best way they can, like, outside the box. That's why I come back.
0: Yes. 100%. And I think that we all crave being part of a community and collective like this. And the fact that we get to reconnect every year is so important for our mental health.
4: Absolutely. Especially if you're a solopreneur like I am. Like you're in the office day by day with not a lot of people around you. And yeah, we definitely need the community. Yes. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Um, So tell us a little bit about your practice.
4: Yeah. I empower tired parents to teach their little ones to sleep so they can parent confidently day and night. So they come for the sleep and they leave with the parenting because Ooh, it is both. Ooh,
0: I love it. I love it. And so what are some of your principles that you kind of impart to,
4: uh, to families
0: around sleep?
4: Yeah. So the Helping Baby Sleep Method, it's my book on Amazon, we have mm-hmm. five pillars. Okay. okay. The first one is really understanding that sleep really is a learned habit. We don't always think about it like that. We think, especially when you have a baby, that this should be this beautiful, natural, instinctual thing that just should unfold. Yes. You shouldn't have to work at it. But if I said to you tonight, you can't sleep in your favorite position as an adult, and I'm going to take away your pillow, think about how frustrated that would be for Uh, you. You're going to toss and turn, Yes. but you'll learn a new way to fall asleep. And the same is true for our Mm littles. We just don't really think about that. So there's some mindset work, even just understanding that concept, right? Right. The second pillar is timing. So putting kids down too early or too late. So timing for anyone listening is the easiest thing you can work on. Okay. Um, in, in um, helping your kiddo sleep. The third one is being an intentional feeder. So if we're using food to soothe them to sleep all the time, we're not really using it intentionally for fuel. We're using it for soothing. We're going to have to keep doing that.
0: Right, 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 right. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, you know, I feel like when you have babies and you have that nighttime feed or dream feed, eventually, you know, stop dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be something you can do uh, long term.
4: Yes. Yes, exactly. Are the habits because I think there's like a thousand different ways to raise your families. Just is this working for you, and is this sustainable long term? So when I'm working with newborns, we're working on gentle newborn sleep shaping to develop habits that you can maintain long term sure we love having them sleep on us. Who -hmm. doesn't?
0: We are recording live with Jenny Wu. Thank you so
5: much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And is this your first time at the conference? It is. Uh, It's been amazing. Um, We are with understood.org and we are the official cause partner of Mom 2.0 this year and we're just absolutely thrilled. It's been really amazing hearing people's stories. I feel like every time we introduce ourselves, every third mom here tells us about their neurodivergent children, and many of them already know us. So it's been amazing uh, how uh, much of this community is really the understood community.
0: Yes, 100%. And what made you want to sign on to a conference like this? Because I'm sure there are so many pitches,
5: and you have to find the one that aligns. Yeah, so understood.org is a social impact organization. We've been around for over a decade, um, really helping parents uh, with children who have learning and thinking differences like ADHD and dyslexia. Um, you know, over time, we've built up lots of different resources um, and, you know, products to help parents either demystify what it means for their child to have learning and thinking differences and also strategies and tools to help them manage it. Mm -hmm. And um, recently, um, about a year ago, we launched our Wonder app. That's Wonder with a U. And it's a first-of-its-kind community app uh, that is designed especially for parents and caregivers of children with learning and thinking differences, so all across the spectrum. And we have, um, you know, parent groups where you can connect with other parents who are going through similar things. We also have real life experts wow. you know, with PhDs, mm-hmm. um, you know, who, either neuropsychs or occupational therapists that cover all sorts of topics. And so our goal is to really cut through the noise, make parents feel less alone going yeah. through this and also give them the right information that they need without having to sift through loads and loads of misinformation. Yes, 100%. And
0: I do feel like there are some some stopgaps um, that are systemic when it comes to identifying neurodivergence um, in the schools and not having, um, I would say, the resources to be able to um, address everyone's, you know, unique needs. And now I am with Amy Schoenthal and she is an author. So tell us about what you write about.
6: Yeah, I have been writing for many outlets including Forbes Women for I don't know 6-7 years now and I interview founders and leaders and people who are really shaping culture and society for the better in some way. That's great. And over the years, I have seen just a significant trend where... the pinnacle of everyone's story is really when they get to some setback that they faced or some problem that they encountered that led them to their most brilliant idea and generally their most successful venture. Yes. And that's how I came up with the idea to sort of explore why this was happening and see if there was some sort of formula or framework that they could, that they were all working through to get to this moment to Mm -hmm. see if maybe we could make it easier on others who are Experiencing inevitable setbacks. Right, hitting the um, wall. Exactly, exactly. So I'm like, can we fast forward this process right, and get right. to that golden nugget? When's that gonna happen? Like faster? Yes. Um, the answer is no, but it sparked an idea for a book, which is called The Setback Cycle, and it comes out next March. Oh my god, congratulations! Thank you, thank you. That's birthing
0: a baby all its own.
6: Oh my god, I don't, I don't, I don't it's know. Harder. Labor was not this hard. Yeah, I know, right? It didn't yeah, last. I will this give long. you that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like for all of us who have a book in there, I mean, yeah. Just, I, I feel like it would be, it's just a huge undertaking, um, and it's just the blood, sweat, and tears mm-hmm. and pouring your heart onto mm-hmm. the pages. Um, and then when it's out, it's out for the yeah. universe to enjoy. Yeah. Amazing. Thank um, you. I love that you created your own beat because it's something that is so relevant, and I think in the society that we're in, um, women particularly need to feel um, empowered and embrace, you know, our, our failures. I've had Reshma Sojani on the show mm-hmm. and she's in the book. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as she should be. And we need to be brave, not perfect yeah. because perfection is not tenable. Mm-hmm. And, it's true. Yeah.
6: No, it's true. And I think, you know, this isn't one of those like we're glorifying failure or right. saying like, go out and make mistakes. That's a really privileged point of view. Right. We're just saying there are inevitable setbacks that will come mm-hmm. and here's how to work through it. And the the people that I feature in the book, like Reshma, mm-hmm. are not only, you know, working through their issue to benefit themselves or make a lot of money. They're doing it to benefit society as a whole. Yes. And I was noticing this, especially, you know, through the pandemic, which is when I started writing this book in, in 2021. And I was seeing this, but then I was seeing all these news headlines about, you know, Women are just, you know, in a terrible situation and everything is a mess and they're not getting any funding and the caregiver crisis is a disaster. And that's all true. But what I was also seeing was these other people, mostly women, who were developing solutions to all of these problems. But they weren't getting nearly enough attention. They weren't getting nearly enough funding. And so I, you know, my hope is that by sharing the stories of what they did, I will inspire other people to maybe either work through their setbacks or when they find themselves in it, not say, oh God, everything is over, you know, my dreams are crushed you know, or whatever the unique situation is, but to say, okay, let's see what can happen. How yes. can I work through this? Let's see what comes next. Maybe, you know, maybe there is a light. Maybe there is something that I can do for, you know, the greater good after this experience. Right.
0: Okay, I'm going to ask you a very loaded question. Go ahead. Um, I, there's got to be a personal kind of through line in the book. Mm-hmm. What was your personal setback that you were
6: like, I-, I had to face this music and overcome it? This was the hardest part for me because I am so good at telling other people's I know, stories. And I, and I am so bad at writing about myself or yeah. telling my own stories. I am never in the narrative. Right. But when you write a book, you have to put your own voice in there and you have to put yourself in the narrative. And so every time I submitted a draft or anything to like a book coach, my agent, the publisher, every time the feedback was, I need more of you. You. I need more of your voice. I need an anecdote here and there to illustrate your story. And so- I had a setback that is a very commonly experienced one um, that, you know, most women who decide to have children and dare to go back to work after having children um, and expect that they will, I guess, you know, be able to function as they had prior to having children. Now, I, I work at a marketing firm, and they're wonderful, and everyone's very supportive. And so even in the best of circumstances there is still a looming identity crisis and I was so self-conscious that I was not proving my value and that I had to like reclimb this mountain after being gone for three months because I think society just sort of imprints this message on you that once you are a mom in the workforce, you are not as committed to your job. And I'm saying this in, you know, it was 2018 when I had my daughter. This is a moment where like this conversation is happening. Yeah, You know that you know, there is a stigma and you're educated about it and you work at an inclusive workplace that accommodates you and does all all the things they're supposed to do and you still feel so self-conscious. This is Kanika with That's Total
0: Mom Sense and I am joined by Gwen and she is with Aura. Tell us a little bit about the company.
7: Aura is an easy-to-use online safety platform for the whole family, so we monitor everything that's important to you. So that's your finances, your identity, your devices, and in particular, your family. So very focused uh, here today on sharing with people about our family solutions around parental controls and safe gaming for online predator and cyberbullying alerts. Wow.
0: And. Just educate us a little bit on this, Um, especially for those who have younger kids. I have kids sub-six years old, so they're not going to see phones for a very long time. Though they do know how to find the YouTube symbol and the camera app (laughs) on my phone. But um, I feel like let's start there and then tell us about how we can um, enable um, controls for the older kids. But um, with the younger ones, is there anything that we can – have in place to to make sure that they're safe.
7: Yeah, I think even if it's not their own devices, you can essentially set up parental controls on whatever device that you allow them to use. You can set it up uh, so that they are not able to access certain content that you would not want them to see. Yes. Uh, For YouTube in particular, you can turn on kind of safe search, which puts it in the kind of a little more kid-friendly mode for Mm -hmm. kids to use. And you can also set time limits on it. So if you don't want them endlessly, you know, staring at this while you walk away, you could set like, you know, 15 minutes 30 minutes that they're allowed to be on whatever app it is even if it's a kids you know gaming app educational app you might not want them with that much time you know visually on screens and doing other things so that's one thing i'd also say um something that's important for kids of any age is identity protection Mm -hmm. um so one in 50 kids last year had their identity stolen what that's crazy so nearly one million kids in the u.s had their identity stolen Kids have uh, clean credit files, so they're often targeted by cyber criminals. Oh, my so God. So it's really important to not only monitor your uh, identity as an adult, but also your kids. So that's something we offer for the whole family. And, I mean, how is that information leaked to, to those who are, like, hacking? And I mean, it's unfortunately becoming more and more prevalent. So just last year alone, you know, every year the FBI... Uh, releases updated stats, there was $10.9 billion lost to online crime last year alone. And to put that in perspective, there was only 1.6 lost to home burglary. So what years ago you might have seen a reverse in this trend of you know home burglary and online crime was not such a big thing, but over the years, Criminals have moved online, so it's ever more important that we're protecting ourselves online, right. whether it is you as an adult and your own credit and your identity, but also your kids, that they're not getting you know scammed or catfished as kids or yeah. online predators or trying to get to them just while they're playing their video games once they do get a little bit oh, older. So scary. Okay, so um, now
0: let's dig a little deeper into those who are of middle school and high school age that have their own phones and devices and um, are gaming and have their profiles and know a lot more than parents do about how to navigate those spaces. So how do we set up controls um, for them and protect them?
7: Yep. So there's two different solutions we offer. So safe gaming, one. um, Most of those games are played on a PC. So you actually download the software onto the PC and then you're able to get a weekly report on what they're doing on games, how much time they're spending, kind of a weekly activity overview. We also will send you alerts if we detect cyberbullying or online predators in the present. So you will get alerted so that you're able to then, you know, get them off the game, really have a conversation with that the kids. We really advocate that, you know, you also have a conversation. Like tools and technology can only go so far. And yes, we can put, you know, with parental controls, you can put the settings on their phones so they can't access certain things. But kids are still going to, you know, explaining to them why it's important. So we just did uh, some research that we were releasing around Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over 50% of parents are worried about what their kids are doing online. And over 50% of them are kind of actively monitoring it. But only one in five is actually having a conversation with their kids frequently. So it's something we also encourage, to, You know, there's that human element of also talking to them about it and helping them understand the dangers.
0: Thank you for listening to my live podcast at the MoM 2.0 Summit. This episode was powered by road microphones produced by Ryan White and Alison Marino and edited by Britain Media. You can follow us at Mom2 Summit and Kanika Chada Gupta on Instagram. You can watch the episode on YouTube or my website, that's totalmomsense.com, and learn more at mom2.com. Subscribe to That Soul Mom Sense wherever you listen and leave a rating and review. They help a ton with the algorithms. Thank you for being part of our thriving community. I'll see you soon.